You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. The world offers us a liturgy by which we are to think and see and speak and act, a way of life. Society offers us that, just from televisions to iPhones to neighbors and coworkers to the news. And yet, as the people of God, we're to gather to have our hearts and minds reoriented, reorganized through a liturgy that we only give an hour and a half to. And so there's a lot to try and accomplish when we're together so that we can live faithfully through the week. And then as we gather in missional communities and in other ways and spaces and in our own time with God in the hope that we continue that orientation and not be seduced by what the world offers especially a world that is bent on fear and violence and hostility. Uh, Which explains why we're going to go into this new series that we're going to go into over the next several weeks together. But before I get into any more of that, I want to go ahead and get right after it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy, if you will. Now, it's important because the context can get a little muddy. Uh, In Deuteronomy 1, Moses is preparing to give a new generation of Israelites the law so that they will know what it means and understand what it looks like to live as though God is king. But before he gives them the law, Moses retells a story, a story that actually happened in real time in the book of Numbers, which we'll visit. But he retells this story from their past because it's a pivotal story. It's a story that they wouldn't have forgotten. It's a story that they would all very well know. It's a story that every worshiper of Yahweh would always know. But this was a story of their past that was defining for them. And so Moses kind of starts off his retelling of the story by starting off with a story of hope, right? It begins with hope and a faithful promise from God and how God had promised to be their people or be their God as they would be their people. And for 400 years, they labored as slaves, their grandfathers, grandmothers, Uh, mothers, fathers, sons, and daughters, all worked hour after hour, day after day, to fill Pharaoh's coffers and to shore up the Egyptian economy with their forced free labor. For 400 years, they were slaves in this strange land. And then Moses recounts how they left this place in Mount Horeb, where they had been for quite a while, and took this 11-day journey to finally the place that God had promised the promised land, the land of Canaan, the promise he had made to Abraham. And and they stand on the southern border and they see Canaan. When I shot, they traveled just 11 days. All of this travel, all of this wondering, all of this time moving from slavery to now being so close to becoming a nation. And Moses reminds them before he goes in the deeper in that story at how when they stood on that southern border after that 11-day journey, It was after they had seen all these incredible miracles. They had witnessed God's presence in a powerful way. They had witnessed God guide them. They had witnessed the waters of Egypt turn to blood. They had witnessed the sounds of the croaking of frogs as they overwhelmed the lands of Egypt. They knew the untold misery the Egyptians felt as bugs crawled forth and from the dust and the wild animals filled the land. They smelled, they could remember the smell, the stench of the dead livestock. They saw the hailstorm fall, the locusts, the darkness fill the land. They remembered the screams of the grieving parents during the first night of their first Passover. 
He reminds them that they had witnessed all of this deliverance. They witnessed the waters part, man, and, and the wall, waters raise up in the walls and the rock across is dry ground. They, they had witnessed Pharaoh try to come after them, even still after all of those plagues, to try and relentlessly attack and kill and take them into captivity. But they witnessed God, just by a word, allow the waters to fall down upon and wash away Pharaoh and his army. Moses reminds them that they had witnessed this wonder-working, miracle-wielding power of God. They even remembered the choruses that they sang with Moses and Miriam as they had crossed the sea. They witnessed the courage of Moses and Aaron. Maybe even themselves have a little courage too. And despite all that they had witnessed, Moses reminds them that they stood at once as a people at this southern border of the promised land. Eleven days they were there. And Moses continues to retell the story. And he says, remember how when we stood there, you all saw the land and it was not anything we'd ever seen before. And so you asked us to send out some spies to go check it out before we crossed over. Despite the fact that God had promised this anyway. And despite the fact that God had done all these things, you, you still wanted to be sure. You wanted to be safe. And so I thought it was a good idea, Moses says. And so we chose 12 spies. And we sent them out for 40 days. And if you guys remember, two of these men were young men, young men, Joshua and Caleb. So for 40 days, they looked over this magnificent land. And so now I want to go to the real-time story in Numbers so we can get the account of what they reported. So Numbers 13, verse 26, the men comes back to Moses and Aaron and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness there at Kadesh Barnea, which is that southern border. And they brought back a report for the whole community to hear. And they showed them the fruit of the land. It was like they were saying, see, man, this stuff looks good. This is going to be a good place. It really is flowing with some sort of milk and honey. It's, it's beautiful. But here's the problem, the 12 spies say. We saw the people there, and they're huge. Like, everything is bigger in Canaan, apparently. It's like Texas, I guess. It's a, they're huge. They have like a gym membership for everybody. They're, they're just huge. They're descendants of Anak. And the Nephilites were there. The, I mean, these, these people, it was like, we look like grasshoppers to them, they say. Well, then in verse 30, Caleb, in all of the midst of the hubbub, who was one of the spies, right? He, he quiets the people in the presence of Moses and says, but we got to go take this land and God has made the promise, right? Like we can go conquer this. But then verse 31, the men who had gone up with him was like, dude, they're huge. We can't do this. I mean, we'd be devoured if we tried to take them up. We seem like grasshoppers to them. And then if you go to Numbers 14, verse 1, the congregation, like everybody, like the millions of Jews, like the majority, were persuaded. Right? And it says that they began to break out in loud cries and they wept all night and they started complaining about Moses and Aaron, which is like typical, right? Like these men had, like encouraged, led them and they're like, oh, you know, sing the songs with Moses and Miriam. They're all dancing, kind of twerking it out, kind of dancing it out and everything. And then and they come out and now all of a sudden they're like, 
you guys stink, man. Like, we would be better off in Egypt again. Like, that's what they say. Like, you led us here to die. I mean, we were making bricks in Egypt, but at least we knew what we were getting. Right? And the Lord's just going to bring us here to die, our wives, our kids. And then Moses and Aaron, the text says, fall to the ground with their faces to the ground in front of the whole assembly. And then Joshua and Caleb, who were the only other two people, two of the spies, the only two spies who trusted that God was going to make this thing happen was Joshua and Caleb, the young dudes, the young guys. And then Moses and Aaron, the old guys, they believed it too. But the majority of the congregation didn't. And you know, majority always wins, right? Congregational voting rule. Right? Like one of the only texts in all of Scripture about congregational voting, and it ends poorly. Right? And they don't buy it. They don't go. So Yahweh's angry, and Moses goes in and intercedes for them anyway. And he begs Yahweh not to strike them all down. And Yahweh says, fine. I won't. But then Yahweh makes a decree. If you look at, we go back to our text where Moses is now retelling the story, he says, and Moses says, so I remember how I told you all not to be afraid. And I remember how I reminded you that, here's what he says in Deuteronomy 1. I remember how I told you in the wilderness, the Lord had carried you as a man carries his son all along the way. But in spite of that, you didn't trust the Lord. He went in by fire by night and the clouds by day and guided you on the road you'd travel, but you didn't trust the Lord. It's like Moses is saying, and I remember telling your grandmothers and grandfathers and mothers and fathers, because remember, he's speaking to a new generation here. I remember telling them, some of you may have heard because you were little, that God carried us like children. But we didn't trust him. We wanted to play it safe. We lack the courage. And so God then made a promise. And his promise was simply this. The old generation just has to die. Because if they can't trust me and have the courage to follow me, despite all I have shown them, I don't know what else to do. And he made a decree that only Joshua and Caleb would enter into the promised land with the descendants and the new kids and the kids of the parents and the grandparents of this generation. And so there Moses stands, retelling the story, and he reminds them of this. You turned an 11-day journey into a 40-year wandering. It's just 11 days that turn into 40 years. And as I read Moses retelling this story, I hear Moses posing a question to Israel. Before he teaches this new generation of Israelites what life will look like when God is their king, I could not help but wonder if he's not asking them this question as the new generation. I think he's saying to them, I think he's saying, do you want to be safe or courageous? Because you can't have both. Not if you're going to trust God as king. I think that's what he's essentially asking. Do you want to be safe or courageous? Because you can't have both. If you're going to follow God as king, you can't can't play it safe. You can't baptize your fears with language like to be a good steward of. 
are turned to willful blindness and denial or call it prudence and wisdom or maturity. Do you want to be safe or courageous? Because you can't have both if you're going to follow God as king. See, John 16, Jesus has his own conversation with the disciples. And in John 16, Jesus is giving him the heads up that he's about to leave. And he's about to go to the cross. He'll overcome the cross. But the disciples still aren't getting it, right? Like, so they go through this discourse and this sort of back and forth where Jesus is trying to explain himself and they're trying to get it. They're asking Jesus a bunch of questions. Jesus is trying to say, look, here's the deal. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to be with you. My spirit will be with you. All right, and they start, to, they start to feel a little better about things, but then they're still not getting it. And so the scriptures say that Jesus turns toward candor now, and he begins to candidly speak. And then finally, the disciples begin to get what's happening. They still don't get it, obviously, but they begin to follow like, okay, Jesus, I'm following you a little bit now. And so then Jesus poses the question in verse 31, well, didn't, do you believe? But he doesn't just stop there. He says, look, An hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. Now, let me pause. We we read this text through the lens of resurrection and cross and we know exactly what happened, right? When Jesus says that. They don't have a clue yet what Jesus means by that. But we know exactly what he means. How many disciples abandoned Jesus at his time of suffering? All but one chose safety over courage. They wouldn't follow him to the cross. Only John would be willing to do that. Peter would deny him three times. Look him in the eyes, Luke says. So Jesus says, yet I won't be alone because the Father's going to be with me. And then he lets them in on the whole deal. I've told you these things. So that in me you may have shalom, wholeness, peace. And then he says... You will have suffering in this world. It's not going away. There will be betrayal. There will be abandonment. There will be sickness and sorrow and death. There will be displeasure. There will be trials. There will be violence. There will be hostilities. You will have suffering in this world. Then he says, everybody read it with me. Be courageous. Say it with me again. Be courageous. I've conquered the world. Again, he'd not conquered the world, right? Like Caesar was still Caesar, right? So they're not getting this yet, but we read this through the lens of resurrection and cross and we know what he means, right? We know that the world, the reign of sin and death offered its worst violent, murderous execution and Jesus overcame it. We know that looking back. They, didn't, they were looking forward. We're looking backward. We know what they didn't know. But I find it beautiful that Jesus is saying, look, you guys, do you really believe? Like, do you really believe? I think what he's doing, I think he's posing the same question that Moses was posing the Israelites. Do you want to be safe or courageous? Because you can't have both if you're going to follow me as Lord. I think that's what he's asking. You're going to have trouble. Do you want to be safe? Or do you want to be courageous? Because you can't have both. If you're going to follow me as Lord. 
Well, we eventually know that all the apostles, once they realized they had chosen safety and essentially abandoned Jesus, because that's the most obvious outcome, we know when they finally chose courage, we know that they lived happily ever after, didn't they? No. Every single one, with the exception of John, died a martyr's death. Christians, ages after ages after ages after ages, because of their allegiance to Christ in the face of other national allegiances, chose courage over safety because they realized they couldn't have both. Do you want to be safe or courageous? You can't have both. If you're going to follow Jesus as Lord, you just can't. See, the answer that we give bears consequences. It becomes the difference between a life that survives and a life that thrives. If we choose a life of safety, we survive. We claw, we scrounge, always overcoming consequence after consequence, pushing through in our own strength with our own rationale and reasoning, disagreeing with people and leaving when it gets hard, choosing who gets to sit around tables with us as if we have that choice because we don't like them or because we think they're inferior because of the color of their skin. But if we choose courage, our life flourishes. We still suffer. We still struggle. We still find disappointment. But we know what's up. We know we have nothing to prove here. We don't have to win every argument. We don't have to defend every attack. Matter of fact, we uh, very literally don't have to do that because we have come to believe that we actually are death proof because he who believes in Jesus never really dies. It changes everything. What I want to talk about over the next several weeks is courage. I'm calling the series Courageous Witness, Echoes of Hope. I want to talk about what it means to live courageously and as a result to give a courageous witness to a watching world and through that courageous witness see hope echo out into our homes and our neighbors, our city, our state, our country and the world. But first we have to know what it means to be courageous people that we can and should be courageous, that we can have courage. And I want to offer a Christian definition of courage. See, Christian courage is the willingness to say and do the right thing regardless of the cost, because God in Christ has promised to be with us and keep us. See, Christian courage is the willingness to say and do the right thing regardless of the cost. Because God has promised in Christ to be with us and no matter what, keep us. As Christ followers, though, we, we, we can't be confused by what society calls courageous and what the Scriptures call courageous. So also over the next several weeks, we're going to have to discern the difference, right? Because what society calls courage and what the Scriptures call courage are not always the same. Sometimes they're actually the opposite. 
We've got to take time to know the difference because knowing the difference will make all the difference as to whether or not we really are going to live courageous lives. And I'm convinced that we won't fully grasp courage until we witness it for ourselves. If we're to live courageously, we have to know what courage looks like. And to do so, we've got to begin in the Scriptures. But it can't stop in the Scriptures. We have to experience it for ourselves in daily living and practice, right? We have to do more than try for courage. We have to train for courage. Because courage is not something for which you try. It is something for which you train. And it's got to be more than just a God story or a God showed up with a one-time event because everybody, are, everybody becomes a Christian when the plane's going down, right? And then when the plane lands, everybody gives thanks to God, but then we go back to our lives, right? Like nothing changes. It's got to be more than that. And so I lean upon what the Hebrew writer said, which we read this morning already. Therefore, holy brothers and compa- companions in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now, every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. God built everything. And he's our God. We just sing about it. And Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household as a testimony to what would be in the future. But Christ was a faithful was faithful as a son over his household, and we are that, say it with me, household. But here's the if, if. And I know we don't like ifs in the Bible a lot of times, but we are that household if. If, though, because it's got to look like something, right? If we hold on to the courage and the confidence of our hope. So do we want to choose safety or do we want to choose courage? Because we can't have both if we're going to follow Jesus as Lord. And the thing about courage is it can't be trained in an individual setting or just with my family, Allison and Ian. See, because we're, what's this? We're a household. Training for courage happens within the body of Christ. Training for courage happens within Christian community. Because it's in Christian community that we remember our hope. Because if I'm just left, if a tragedy strikes my home and Allison and Ian and I are left overwhelmed and we are losing the confidence of our hope and therefore losing a sense of courage, then we need to be with you so that you can remind us of the things God has done, right? So that we'll remember that time when God proved himself true, right? That's why training happens in community. We'll be reminded of the time when God healed the sick or comforted the grieving. We'll remember, we'll be reminded of the time by one another through presence of one another when God answered the prayers the way we prayed or how when he didn't answer the prayers the way we prayed, he comforted us through the disappointment and gave us strength to believe again. See, we train for courage in Christian community, not as individuals, but in Christian community because anytime one of us forgets about how God has provided in abundance and met every need on time, we can remember the stories of like, a, like an orphan home in Kenya or, or like a time where God surprised us and paid down debt or a time where God healed that marriage that everybody thought was dead or that time where God healed that person that everybody thought was dead or that time that that person still died but God was with that family who grieved through it and came out strong. Well, remember that time when we saw that person that everybody in society said wasn't given, wasn't worth a flip, yet God loved and redeemed and found home with us. 
See, that's how we train for courage. It's when we hear the stories. But when we see the stories, though, we have to see them and not just hear them. If we can say, like when you heard the, the folks share from CR a few weeks ago, and if you weren't here, that's, that's kind of the struggle. That's kind of what I'm getting at. That, that's hard to train for courage. You miss some courageous stories, but some of us have seen those stories take place. We didn't just hear about them. I, I saw those stories more, man. Like it's amazing to see God work, and it gives me the confidence for my hope, which gives me courage. But too many times we make decisions on the fear of what might go wrong, don't we? We play it safe. We base our life decisions upon what might go wrong and sometimes then as a result lack the courage to base a decision on what could possibly go right. I mean, our society wires us for this way. We have insurance, right? Like, I'm pro-insurance, but I'm very pro-insurance, by the way. But like, we have like accident insurance, disability insurance, long-term, short-term, long-term care. We have, we have, we go on, like, it's like supplemental hospital insurance. We have life insurance. We have insurance for our rings, for our homes, for our cars. We have all these, we've made all these provisions in our lives just in case <laughs> something goes wrong. And we don't realize how wired we are for that and how it intrudes our faith. So we make decisions based on the fear of what might go wrong and not in the courage of what could possibly go right. And when we do, we let fear get the best of us and we lose hope. And when a person loses hope, they move into self-protection. And when we lose hope and move into self-protection, we lose courage. And when we lose courage, we lose our ability to love. Because fear drives out love. And when we lose courage, and we lose hope, we start playing it safe. And when we play it safe, we no longer have the courage to take God at his word and trust him. When we play it safe, we no longer have the courage to wait on God. Instead, we'll move out on our own time on our own terms and hope we can survive the outcome, right? When we play it safe, we can no longer have the courage to love with the love of Christ. You know, that self-giving love to which we have been called because fear has driven out love. When we play it safe, we no longer have the courage to love and do and say the right thing regardless of the cost because we no longer are really sure that God will be with us and we've lost confidence of our hope. We lose courage. We no longer can do what is good and right regardless of the risks. And the sad thing is when we choose safety over courage, we always run the risk of making things more difficult. Now we have consequences to overcome. We've made ourselves vulnerable to despair. We've opened up the possibilities that an 11-day journey could turn into a 40-year wandering despite the promises of God and things that we have seen. Now we have wounds to heal and scars to carry. And Jesus has already said we're going to have those things anyway. You're going to have them anyway. Because following Jesus does not guarantee us an escape clause of trials and suffering. As a matter of fact, it's, 
if we know our family tree, right, if we know our history, it's really the, the opposite, which is why Jesus said, hey, if you're going to follow me, uh, count the cost. Make sure you take up your cross. <laughs> then Jesus looks at all those who follow him and says, here's the deal. You can have courage, man, because I've overcome the world. There's nothing the world has thrown at me that I did not defeat, and the same will be true for you. Trust me. You can live as though you have nothing to prove because you are known by God. You are loved by God. Your identity is set in God, not in your performance and your vocations. You can have confidence in the hope that God is never, ever going to abandon you and I. God will not abandon us because we aren't that important to be the first person in the history of humanity that God utterly abandons. He's not going to do that. He loves us too much. He's the Lord. And even when we don't feel Him, we can trust that He's with us just as the sun will still be present tomorrow despite being eclipsed by the darkness. So too it is with God. When darkness clouds His vision, clouds Him from our vision, He's still there. He hasn't moved. Maybe I have, but He hasn't moved. See, know it or not, Christian, brother, sister, you and I awaken every day faced with the question. Do I want to be safe or courageous? Because I can't have both. Not if I'm going to follow Jesus as Lord. Not if I'm going to live as though the gospel is true. See, if we choose safety over courage, we'll not be able to love our neighbor as we love ourselves because we'll be too afraid of them. If we choose safety over courage, we will not be able to treat others as we would be treated because we will not want to run the risk of losing what we love. If we choose safety over courage, we'll not be able to forgive those who have wronged us because it's just too hard and it's much more pleasant to hold on to the anger. If we choose safety over courage, we'll not be able to bless those who hate us. No way! We would rather see them wiped off the face of the planet. If we choose safety over courage, we will not be able to do what is right and stand up in the face of evil or stand with the oppressed or stand against something as evil and hellish and from the demon and his antichrist as right supremacy. Instead, we will default back to a safe ideology or some sort of willful blindness or denial that there's not really a problem. If we choose safety over courage, we will not be able to charge the darkness with the light of love because we'll be too busy running to the bunkers of safety. And so Jesus says to us, be courageous. I've overcome the world. Choose courage, and the echoes of hope that the gospel has the power to bring will ring out and drown out the echoes of despair. Be courageous. We are his church. Say we are his church. We're his Holy Spirit-filled body, and the church is the body of Christ. Say, we are the body of Christ. We're the ongoing presence of Christ in the world by the power of the Spirit. We are the church. We are God's society in the midst of all cities. We are the church. We are God's ambassadors. Ambassadors in the midst of all nations, including our own. 
We are the church. We're God's household in the midst of all neighborhoods. We are the church. We're God's children in the midst of all families. We are known by God. We are loved by God. We are with God and we are kept by God. We can have courage. We can choose courage. Choose courage over safety because you can't have both. Choose Jesus because he will be with us and keep us. So when you wake up tomorrow morning and you have to make a decision, whatever that decision is, seek the counsel of the Lord. Look at Jesus. And if that decision is going to lead you away from what you know looks like Jesus, smells like Jesus, sounds like Jesus, talks like Jesus, choose courage and trust God with the consequences. You have nothing to prove. You have nothing to prove. You don't have to win every argument. You don't have to always be heard, but sometimes you need to be heard. Sometimes you need to speak. You can't be silent. Choose courage. You don't have to always be right. You don't have to always defend things. God's been doing a good job with the world. We're the ones trying to blow it up. Choose courage. Because no matter what the world throws at you, no matter what the reign of sin and death throws at you, throws at me, we can have courage because Christ has overcome the world.